The boom continues. Welcome. It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Really glad you're here. Highlights in the next hour. We're going to talk about the four phases of retirement. And I'll tell you this, even if you're not retired, you're in one right now. Ask Annex is coming up. And then toward the end of the show, we're going to talk about retirement part-time. Maybe you don't want to keep up the pace, but you want to stay active. We work with many clients to do this, and we're going to lead you through the steps. I'm Danny Clayton. Dr. Brian Jacobson, our chief economist, is here. Hey, Brian. It's great to be here. Dave Spano, president and CEO of Annex Wealth Management. Yeah, that's exactly right, Danny. The boom does continue. We see some new highs across the indices, both NASDAQ and the Russell up 6% and 15% respectively. And we really kind of have a Goldilocks scenario, if you will, right now. It does really feel like that. And I honestly don't oftentimes like using Goldilocks just because I really enjoy children's stories, <laughs> you know, and the Goldilocks and the three bears. If you think about a Goldilocks, she was a criminal, right? Breaking <laughs> and entering, she steals their porridge, uh, sleeps funny. in their beds and yeah. that. And so maybe this is a baby bear kind of scenario where it is where it's just right because it's not too hot, not too cold. We do have these new highs. And one of the things that I think oftentimes happens when I read through the financial press is everybody lamenting about, oh, this is such a narrow rally, but it's really not, you right. know, it has broadened. And I think a lot of people just haven't really been paying close enough attention to how it's small caps, it's different industries. They're beginning to participate. And in Goldilocks as the criminal is certainly gonna get all the attention, but that's exactly <laughs> right. It's not just the Magnificent Seven, and by the way, it's probably just the Magnificent Six anyways, because you have to take Tesla out of that yeah. at this point, but it has expanded. You look at across different sectors, and you look across internationally as well, and it's starting to expand. Yeah, emerging markets have done quite well, and even Europe is beginning to turn a corner. Some valuation opportunities there, perhaps because they have been a little late to the game. And on our investment committee, when we're looking at the opportunities, obviously, we want to understand the fundamentals. And one of the biggest fundamentals that you can pay attention to are the earnings. When we look at the S&P 500, it hits a new high, but guess what? So have the earnings. And so, even though you can easily argue that, well, maybe things have moved a little bit too fast, maybe too far, maybe not, especially since earnings. We did have that earnings recession back in 2022 and also part of 2023. They're beginning to stage that recovery. Now, will this continue? That is a good thing to kind of think about. We believe that the fundamentals are still there to support corporate earnings marching higher. So the S&P up 8% on earnings in 2023 expected to be 14% in 2024. That is room for debate, but when the analysts start to improve their earnings, that's usually a good thing. And oh, by the way, the comparisons from last year are going to be pretty easy. Yeah. So that is good for the market as well. That's correct, because the real trough for earnings when we had a little bit of an earnings recession was in the first part of 2023. And so now that we're in the first part of 2024, those year-on-year -year comparisons are going to look a lot more favorable. Uh, one thing I would point out is that while the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ have hit these new highs, the Russell 2000, so the small guys, they are still about 15 to maybe or 14 to 15% below the November 2021 peak. And part of it is they've had a little bit more challenging environment in terms of the earnings recession. It was a bit of a double dip 
earnings recession for them. If we get a little bit of stability with the interest rate environment, maybe we're there. That could go a long ways towards maybe improving sentiment towards some of those smaller and mid-cap names. And there's no question, though, that the folks could be subject to some type of risk if they are overweighted in just a number of those companies. We call it concentration risk. That's right. Yeah, concentration risk is something that people should really focus on just to kind of do a little play on words there, right? You should concentrate on your concentration risk, mainly because if it goes up, that's fantastic. But do you really want to put all of your eggs in one basket? Andrew Carnegie, the, the great industrial magnate, uh, he once said that put your all your eggs in one basket and never take your eyes off that basket. <laughs> Maybe that worked for him, but that generally speaking doesn't work all that well because if everything is in all on one particular company or one particular idea, what happens if that doesn't play out? And that's why we always preach the virtues of diversification. In a balanced portfolio. So let's switch gears uh, just a minute. Speaking of a balance, right now the Federal Reserve certainly had indicated early on, at least last year, that they were going to lower rates. And that doesn't look like that's going to happen here in March, probably kicking that can to June that you and I have talked about before. And the market had expected six rate cuts. That certainly doesn't look like that's going to happen. So look for June, a rate cut in June, and we'll have to see what happens with their meeting next week. That's right. Next week, we get the monetary policy report of the government that was released on Friday. It's great bedtime reading. If you have a difficult time falling asleep, (laughs) crack that open. Uh, But it was actually really interesting. So Chair Powell will be testifying before Congress on Wednesday and Thursday to give an update about what's going on with monetary policy and the economic environment in general. And just to highlight the efficiency of our government, he delivers the same speech on Wednesday as he does on Thursday because, you know, he has to deliver to the House and then to the Senate. Uh, But it does really sound like all these Fed officials who have stepped out are preaching about patience. We can be patient. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? We have a low unemployment rate. Incomes are still rising. Inflation, it is above their target, but trending lower. They probably think that they can err on the side of waiting to cut as opposed to feeling like they need to cut anytime soon. And maybe their focus moves away from this PCE indicator this one of their preferred measures of inflation to more employment Mm. and Mm -hmm. unemployment. And that is really the reason why we're starting to see some of this inflation become sticky because people are employed. Therefore, they go out and spend as they spend. They're keeping prices up. So we're going to have to see if there will be some type of washout in the unemployment market. Lastly, obviously, it's a presidential election year, and the market does do well in those environments. Yeah, this is the time of year, seasonality-wise, where you can get some choppiness when you are in the uh, February-March period. But people are really beginning to anticipate who is going to be in the White House, what the composition of Congress will be. And then as Todd Voigt, our chief investment strategist, always says, when there's an election, there's this date with destiny. You know when it's going to be resolved. And really, for the most part, when that uncertainty is resolved, it oftentimes, more often than not, is beneficial for the overall market. And we'll have to see if we really do know that in November or if it becomes something that the Supreme Court has to weigh into. Dr. Brian Jacobson is our chief economist, Dave Spano, our president and CEO. That's our Week in Review, always available on demand whenever you want it. At the top of the hour, wherever you get your podcasts. Also, the Axiom Newsletter. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, Saturday, March 2nd. We are a week out from the Saturday Women in Wealth presentation, What Women Need to Know About Divorce. Complete details, AnnexWealth.com. Thank you for listening. We're going to be right back on 620 WTMJ.
Hey, welcome back to Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Sign up for the Axiom free weekly newsletter. Love to be your friends or your cohorts on social media like LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. SWAT podcast, always good from the Annex Wealth Management investment team that's out early on Monday morning. This show available at the top of the hour on Spotify. I'm Danny Clayton, Dr. Brian Jacobson in the studio. Dave Spanos, our president, CEO. Well, spring training has started, and one of the things that I saw this week was a squeeze play, even in spring training, which I thought was interesting. And I also saw something else called a short squeeze. How do those things connect? Yeah, so this past week, it was really fascinating to see a couple of stocks, one in particular that uh, we've liked for quite a while, uh, Celsius holding. So that's uh, the energy drink. Uh, They reported some pretty decent earnings, slightly better than expected. And the stock went skyward. You would have thought that it maybe had a few cans of the uh, energy drink. And it was mainly because there was this massive short squeeze. And so what happens is when you have your money at a brokerage firm and you uh, buy some shares, they can lend those shares out to people who maybe have a negative view on Mm -hmm. the company. And so They borrow it, and what they do is they borrow it, sell it, and then they need to buy it back. And they're hoping that the price goes down. So it's kind of like the whole let's buy low, sell high, but they try to reverse it. So they're shorting the stock. So they're shorting the stock. stock to go down. Yep. And when it doesn't go down, all of a sudden they have to start buying it back. Some people have been pretty critical about short selling, saying, you know, is that really kind of ethical? Should it even be legal? It embeds information in there. But the thing is, if they're wrong, all of a sudden, and they have to start buying it back hand right. over fist, and that's what happens. And so the stock goes up, and they have to cover their position. So they have to go and buy the stock, the stock that they wanted to go back down, and all of a sudden, there it goes. Yep. And we saw it again in not only Celsius, but we saw it again in some of the AI names that were out last week. We saw this just you know straight up, yep. and that's because they were shorting those stocks. They got squeezed out. So this is something that we do pay attention to. We certainly watch this, but you do know that you have to have a position that makes sense in your portfolio that is based on fundamentals and fits into your asset allocation. Dave Spanos, our president and CEO, Annex Wealth Management, Dr. Brian Jacobson, chief economist. We've got them for the rest of the show. Bunch of great stuff coming up, so I want you to stick around for that. In the meantime, head to our website. It's AnnexWealth.com. Click on that Get Started button. A heads up, brand new webinar on the way. Dave Spano, John McCure, Is America's Debt a Ticking Time Bomb? Happens March 12th. Sign up, AnnexWealth.com slash events. It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. I spotted a fascinating study titled Longevity and the New Journey of Retirement, and it covered aging and financial habits in America. Immediately thought of you, Mark Beck, Chief Growth Officer at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome back. Thank you. You've got 15 years of experience with Annex Wealth Management clients through all of the phases of retirement. This study names four sub-phases that people might pass through. I'm curious if it matches up with your experience. The first phase actually accounts for the 10 years before retirement. That's the anticipation phase. You know, this might also be named sort of the you don't know what you don't know phase. So it's the preparation, but for a long time you've been, hopefully anyway, accumulating and saving and putting money away as you've been working and earning income. And now you're starting to think about what might that look like. So visualizing what your retirement looks like, what are the preparedness steps to get there, thinking about what your lifestyle needs really will be when you get to retirement and coordinating all of the efforts behind that. And by the way, you mentioned 50 
15 years in this industry. And it's not just me. We've got a lot of really experienced people here at Annex. And it's a big part of what you're engaging a wealth management firm for is they've helped many people through these phases and accumulate these experiences to help guide you along that path. This anticipation phase, the 10 years before retirement, is marked by optimism, excitement over the prospect, and a little anxiety about financial readiness. This is the period in which most financial advice is most sought, and that's where we'll see many of clients. Now, you don't have to be 10 years out from retirement. In fact, we're starting to see people getting involved in financial planning much earlier than that. I would certainly guide people to do that. I think I've never met with somebody who said, I wish I would have waited longer to seek out this kind of advice and guidance and a relationship to help me. So as soon as you are ready to take advice, it's a great spot to start to work with somebody that can provide that advice. How about this one, the second phase? And this runs from the day after retirement to about two years. Liberation, disorientation, new retirees excited by new freedom, luxury of time, but they're uncertain how to spend their time and their money. In fact, 25% of retirees from this phase consider themselves semi-retired and still might work. So they're not cutting the cord entirely. They're kind of still in the game. Much more common than it used to be. It used to be just cut the cord. You went from working to retired, boom, done. But I think people phase their way into retirement much more so than they used to. By the way, it's shown itself, I think, to be very, very healthy. I see a lot of people go through that, and it's really encouraging to them, and they feel liberated, but also helps them navigate sort of the anxiety that comes from transitioning into retirement. It is a high-anxiety period. From year 3 to 14 of retirement, retirees are in the reinvention phase. This sounds great. It's the heart of retirement. Retirees do the most, explore the most. The family is growing and they're taking pleasure in that. Health is more of a concern. And this is where retirees learn to shift mindset from accumulation to distribution. Yeah, so distribution is where am I going to source the money to support my retirement lifestyle? That's distribution. I'm going to take money from my investment accounts and start to use it. And the reason that it starts at about three years forward where they get comfortable with that is doing those two years immediately post-retirement, oftentimes there's too much anxiety there. We've done the financial planning. They don't trust the financial plan. They know what they can live on and what that can look like, but they're still uneasy taking money from investments. It's hard to switch your mindset from accumulating to distributing assets. After a couple of years, they settle in and they say, this is really working. This is something I can do. And they become a little more focused on enjoying what we might call the go-go years. Mark Beck is Chief Growth Officer, Annex Wealth Management, talking about the longevity and the new journey of retirement survey. At around year 15, retirees enter the stage reflection resolution. Happiness, contentment, enjoyment remain strong, even if there's some downshifting due to health issues. For the most part, they've learned to live within their means. They've remained resilient, even in the face of loss. The survey says people get serious about wanting to talk about legacy. Yeah, and what does legacy mean to them? It's different for everybody, but you're right. This is a spot where people start to spend less money because, you know, they don't really value kind of accumulating things anymore at that point. I have everything I want. I have everything I need. I want to still travel, maybe even slow down the travel a touch at that spot, but I'm not going to be here forever. What does that look like? My family's really important to me. Maybe the charities that I've been involved in are very important to me. And how do I make sure that I pass along those legacies, which is not just money, by the way, but it's things like family lore and it's things like the important items. And sometimes it has to do with properties and, and even education for the grandchildren. All of those things become like really important items. The four phases, anticipation, liberation, disorientation, reinvention, and then reflection resolution. We help our clients on every step of this journey. 
with multiple aspects of that because it's not just about the investment portfolio, but you just walk through a whole journey of talking about coordinating investments around distribution strategy, which leads itself directly into tax strategy, tax efficiency around the possibility of legacy, charitable intent. You cross the whole spectrum and all of these have such important dynamics to them and having somebody that can guide you along that path and really to help you understand when it's time to start to shift your focus or attention from one area to the other. If you're ready, so are we. Annex Wealth Management, investment, retirement planning, tax planning, estate planning. Mark Beck, Chief Growth Officer, thank you. My pleasure. Reminder, one week from today, what women need to know about divorce happens at 8.30 at the Annex Wealth Management Headquarters, 17950 West Corporate Drive in Brookfield. That's with Carp and Jan Koo. Complete details at AnnexWealth.com. Bottom of the hour, let's get caught up and go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Time for Ask Annex. Let's get right to it and welcome our guys in. Fred Coleman, CFP and a wealth manager. Hello. Hey, Danny. And we got Matt Morsey, investment team manager, also a CFP. Welcome to you. Hey, Danny. Question one. Thinking of opening a custodial brokerage account for my newborn granddaughter. She's been receiving financial gifts from family members. Thoughts? Yeah, I think that's an awesome idea. Super generous of you to try to do that and, and put that in terms of the long-term growth potential that she's going to be able to realize from that. So that is awesome. You really think about compounding, which you know some people have called like the eighth wonder of the world. Starting out when somebody is born, just to see what that's going to be like when they turn 18 or when they turn 50, depending how long the state is in there, is going to be just awesome. I mean, that's life-changing, really. Even with really small dollar amounts right away, that is going to make a big difference. From an investing point of view, I would really keep it simple just going to want to diversify and just try to get some low-cost index funds, try to get as much of the market as possible and let, let it do its thing. I would stay away from the, I'm going to pick this stock or that stock because your return sequence could be so far off. You know, you pick a stock that ends up going down 20 or 30%, you know, you're really losing that ability, but just let the market do its thing. The thing about custodial accounts, they're great because you can invest in pretty much anything that you want, just like a regular brokerage account. And there's flexibility for the child once they hit mm-hmm. 18, to do whatever they would like with the funds. Now, that is one thing to also keep in mind because once they hit 18, you do lose control of the account, so they can use it for whatever they want. They can use it for a house, a car, or if they just want to go on a shopping spree, they can do that. The other thing, and I see this with a lot of high-income earners, at some point, unearned income in those accounts do end up getting taxed at the parent's rate. There's a thing called kitty tax. So that means that once you hit a certain amount of unearned income, uh, it's no longer going to get taxed at that favorable child rate, but it's going to get taxed at the kid's rate. So those are two mm-hmm. things to keep in mind. The other thing, I always like to hammer it away. If you can invest in a 529 plan, I know that they're specifically for education, but there's a lot of tax benefits to it. And then you can also maintain that ownership. When she's 18, she introduces grandpa to her new boyfriend, Spike, and then they're going to go <laughs> off on a motorcycle trip. She can do that, huh? That uh, certainly can on the custodial account, like you mentioned, Fred. You know, it's a lot of reason why some people will just open that account in their own name, knowing that they're going to end up passing that on to somebody else. But at least they maintain that control of when that money gets given, how much of it gets given at one point in time, and for what reasons as well, too. It's Ask Annex. Next question. I'm not going to name the institutions. We have most of our cash at names the bank. Matt, you'd say a good-sized regional bank. Pretty recognizable, okay. yeah. Maybe with $10,000 at, and again, a credit mm-hmm. union, well-recognized credit union locally, and also another one, and that's another regional bank, right? Yeah, that one a little larger, but yeah, all of them, everybody would, would okay. be well aware of. He goes on to say, I've been reading about the possibility of another banking crisis. Should we be switching to the, quote, too big to fail banks versus the smaller regionals? Interested in your opinion. 
the first thing to look at for most people are these banks FDIC insured. Mm-hmm. Those that you named, those are FDIC insured. So you can put up to 250000 per depositor per account type. So you can have a single account, you can have a joint account, you can have a retirement account, you can have a trust account. That's a million dollars. And you can do that at every bank. So for most people, they're under that amount. So you have nothing to worry about. And the overall risk for banks failing is very close to zero. There's so many protections that have been put into place on behalf of consumers, but also in terms of the stress test that the Fed put banks into is, is much stronger now than it was pre-financial crisis. So the risk that, that they have there, you know, is a lot less. I know we did have some regional bank issues last year that created a lot of uncertainty and volatility in the markets, but you kind of saw that process play out in real time in terms of what the Fed's going to do, what the federal government does as well, too, in order to step in and, and help people out in those situations. Keeping in mind the FDIC insurance is, is really, really really important. Other things you can do too, if you do worry about some of those things is investing directly into treasuries, uh, money markets as well too. You're going to see some protections there based on the underlying investments in there that, you know, you've got the full faith and credit of the U.S. government, which is going to trump FDIC insurance any day. Ask Annex is open to anybody. You got a question for us, you head to our website, AnnexWealth.com. Look for the Ask tab. We get back to everybody. Some wind up on the radio. Next question on Ask Annex. This is a good one. Is regular monthly investing the same as dollar cost averaging? I would generally say so. You know, those terms are used interchangeably at some point. The idea between dollar cost averaging is investing a fixed dollar amount on a fixed set of intervals. So it could be monthly, quarterly, annually, whatever that is. A lot of people, you know, probably the easiest way to relate to that is a 401k where every two weeks or twice a month, you're having the same amount of your paycheck going into the market at that same interval at the same amount. Idea there is that the stock market does go down, you put the same amount of money in, you're buying more shares so that as it comes back up, you're getting that reward there. But even if it's going up, you're still investing that money for the long term. 20 years from now, those fluctuations of the market are going to be something you're not even going to remember. You really are just trying to get money into the market at a set time period. The opposite of that is trying to time the market, saying, okay, this month I'm going to do it. Now this month I'm not going to because the market went up. Oh, the market went down. Now I'm going to try to do it again. Problem with that is the market keeps going up. We have a bunch of positive months in a row and you keep hesitating. Well, now you're going to end up buying it at higher prices. You're much better off just putting that in over time. The big thing is it takes the emotional side out of Mm -hmm. the investments, right? You're not worried about fluctuations. Like you said, Matt, does the stock go up? Does it go down? It doesn't matter. I'm investing. And you also will spread out the cost basis a little bit. So uh, that helps out a lot. That's Ask Annex. Fred Coleman, CFP Wealth Manager. Thanks. Thanks, Danny. Matt Moore is the Investment Team Manager, CFP. Thank you. Thank you. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? Susie Lopez, CFP and a Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Hey, Susie. Hi. Welcome back. Hey, a lot of talk about people retiring early. We also hear stories of people regretting retiring early. Do you need to go from straight up working to entirely retired. Maybe not. Maybe what you need to consider is trying on retirement kind of, sort of, part-time. Susie, before any of these steps are taken, we need to point out actual investment and retirement plan needs to be in place to make the whole process a lot smoother. Yep. Any decision, we're always going back to that financial plan. So off the top, and without too many details that might identify them, any favorite stories of clients dipping toes in the retirement pond by doing it part-time? Yeah, absolutely. I've had so many clients do this recently. A couple that are top of mind are just people who have kind of phased out. So, you know, you're initially in that 40 hour a week phase, had somebody go down to 30 and then down to 20 hours. One of the major benefits for this specific client is they were able to help bridge that gap. So their employer actually let them stay on their employer's health insurance plan 
while working part-time to get them to that Medicare age. So that was a huge benefit for them. How do clients articulate wanting to try part-time retirement? Is it more of a, I still like what I do, I just want to slow down? Or does it tend to spring from a conversation maybe with you when you're talking about life or goals in retirement? Some people choose to phase out. I've also had some clients who were asked to phase out where, you know, their employer really didn't want them to leave. They were valued at the work that they were doing and their company wanted them to stay. That can be a blessing or a curse. I've definitely had people who said, "Ugh, you know, my employer asked me to stay. I feel like I should. Um, But, you know, others will discuss it, you know, as we go through our planning conversations um, and we'll add, you know, kind of an official retirement date to their plan and then a secondary retirement date where that part time income eventually does stop. Um, But that does, you know, can help supplement their income and their spending as long as they want it to. Do they just want to stay busy or is it more like to kind of get in that second phase part? Consultant, maybe a new business owner, super duper grandparent. Yeah, my son is lucky enough to spend time with his super duper grandparents and we're, uh, we're exceptionally grateful for them. But anyway, this is all over the board. So as mentioned earlier, some clients will phase out at the company that they've been at. You've also got people who will stay kind of in the industry, but do more of a consulting. I've had people who stayed on to train their replacement if they were the only one at that company doing you know the role that they were in or just reducing their hours some people want to start their own side hustle right their own business using the expertise they've built throughout their careers the other one i see a lot is we'll call it a fun job right so maybe you you like the discount at the local retail or hardware store or at the end of the day you just want something a couple hours a week to make you get up and go out and do it get dressed whatever it might be so we're with susie lopez cfp and wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management, talking about part-time retirement, just kind of dipping the toe in the water. So in the case of clients, you got their plan right in front of you. Is it best to have a plan that signals they could be 100% retired? That gives them the ultimate flexibility, right? This is why I love the financial plan. We can test out anything. Naturally, most clients find comfort that they could retire and not have to earn another dollar the rest of their lives and their plan would work. But adding income on top of that just makes the plan stronger or it can allow for guilt-free excess spending sometimes, (laughs) right? Maybe you don't want to feel bad about your new retirement hobbies or spoiling the grandkids. I'd also add, you know, sometimes that part-time income can impact other parts of your plan as well. So you've got to think about what is that doing to my tax plan? Should I start social security or not based on how much I might earn from those that other income? So other questions can come snowballing in, you know, as you make the decision to continue working through retirement. Well, and that's why they have a relationship with Annex Wealth Management, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's an ongoing organic process. And this gets to the importance we place on clients having the kinds of retirement that they desire. It's beyond the plan. We want you to be satisfied in that journey. How important is it to play around with how they're going to use their free time? Or do you think they've already got that in mind? It's so important to think about your social and lifestyle plans in retirement, as well as the financial. I love it when clients or family members come to me and they say, you know, I don't know how I ever even had time to work. I am so busy in retirement. Other people will say, well, I would retire, but I don't know what I would do, right? So you've got to be able to retire to something. I think that's really wise. And I like what you said earlier, where you have actually a couple of retirement dates on the calendar. That's fantastic. Yeah. Investment and retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning. We do it as a fee-only fiduciary. We want you to know the difference. The website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Start that wealth metric process. Susie Lopez, CFP and a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. We're going to be right back on 620 WTMJ. We're back. Thanks for hanging out. 
three easy ways to access content from Annex Wealth Management, always on the air, on the stream, on the podcast. It's at your convenience. This show goes live on Spotify and other podcast platforms at the top of the hour. Dr. Brian Jacobson in the studio with us today, and Dave Spano, our President and CEO, Annex Wealth Management. Thanks, Danny. You know, uh, you and I have been talking about music for a long time, and you grew up as a, as a disc jockey, and of course, you played a lot of the music that the baby boomers would listen to. Right? right now, what we're starting to see is the baby boomers accelerate their retirement. And by 2030, we are going to see an onslaught of baby boomers at least get to 65 and older. More 65-year-olds right now than I think in history, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, come on in. The water's fine. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> what we're going to see is that the trust fund is going to continue to be under pressure. And why do I bring that up? Is because there was this onslaught, as we all know, of population that was from 1946 to 1965. And what happened is they were putting into the Social Security Trust Fund. Well, the generations that followed them were not as populous, and so that money was not going in. So it's just you know too much money coming out and not enough going in. So 2034, the trust fund is set to really kind of run out of money. But that is really an inflammatory statement. Mm-hmm. And that's not really what's happening. And so I do want to explain that. Yeah, so the trust fund itself is more of an accounting thing that the government does, because uh, I think it was under Lyndon Johnson, where he basically started taking money from from Social Security, that trust fund, and putting it more into the general budget to help fund the Vietnam War. And as a result of that, now it's basically just the money goes in and it goes into Social Security, but then it goes over to the general account and it's spent. So even though the trust fund itself might be depleted, that doesn't mean that they're going to stop paying out benefits because really it's just going to come from this bigger pool of money instead. And really that $3 trillion that still remains in there, they were treasured that they actually was overfunded and they would lend back to the United States government to spend. There's still $3 trillion there, but at some point, obviously, that's going to run out. What happens at that point is what everybody wants to know. If you ask a young person right now, they go, I do not depend on it. I don't think I'm going to get it. But the reality is if we get to 2034 and nothing happens, right? And we saw that argument last year when President Biden in his State of the Union, which, by the way, is coming up, said, oh, it's been settled. Even the Republicans won't talk about it, right? You'll recall that conversation. But in 2034, if they do nothing, there would be a cut of about 25% of the payment. So if you were getting $2,000 a month, it would be cut to $1,500. It doesn't go to zero. Correct. It's not great news, but I wanted to get the facts out there. Yeah, and that's such an important thing, especially in this day and age. A lot of people will see something on social media. Maybe it's this bumper sticker slogan kind of thing, and they take that as fact. But as you point out, it's not as though suddenly all the payments would stop. That assumes that they do nothing, nothing. between now and 2034. And last time I checked, that's still about 10 years away, if my math is right. And so there's plenty they could do. You know, and there are so many different things they could do. Um, Lots of different proposals out there as far as like maybe they can change the uh, maximum amount of income subject to Social Security. They can make more of the benefits that are more means tested as far as what part is going to be taxable. Uh, Plenty of things that they can do. Extending the retirement age, there are a lot of levers that can be pulled We'll have to see if they have the guts and the courage to do that. But, you know, Social Security was not meant to be the only 
stool. I mean, there's three legs of this stool that yeah. should be drawn upon. And it was really just a supplement. It was, mm-hmm. you know, it was this safety net. And that's not way, the way people have looked at it. You know, 50% of Americans haven't saved anything. So as retirement planners and financial planners were saying, this is part of the stool. It's that's part right. one of the legs. The other two legs, of course, are either pensions or 401k plans and then your own saving. And that's the reason why we do shows like this to say, let's make sure that you're doing all of these parts to get to retirement. Sure. And one of the things that maybe you could have it where it's a four-legged chair instead of a three-legged stool is to think about uh, the number of people who are continuing to stay engaged in the labor force, even in retirement in some capacity, right? Now, obviously you don't want to force people to do that. I mean, it's rather arrogant and presumptuous of me to think that, oh, you know, everybody can just continue to work at least part-time. A lot of people maybe were in jobs where, you know, physically they're unable to or because they have other family obligations, but we are seeing that increase in trend of people staying at least marginally or somewhat attached to the labor force to really supplement their income in retirement. I'm sure you saw the headlines this week, my kids did, that millennials are set to be the richest generation. Right. Did you well, see that? Because well, it's, it's a wealth it's transfer, transfer, right? Wealth transfer that's happening. And, and this is something that we help our clients with it's to true. do that generational wealth transfer. It's important. It's important for you to make sure that you it goes the way you want it to go, but also for them, for them to receive it properly. And that's really, it's not just about investments. A lot of times people just think about that, but it is the retirement plan. It is the estate plan. It's the tax plan. All of these come together, and that's the reason why you need a fee-only fiduciary Folks, those words mean something. A fee-only fiduciary means that you're not going to get sold a product when you walk through the door. Investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning, we do it as a fee-only fiduciary, as Dave mentioned. And we can do it for you. And, yeah, you're listening on the weekend, but there's no reason you can't head to that website and click that Get Started button. Annex Comprehensive Wealth, Annex Private Client, Annex Ignite, time to put things in the hands of seasoned professionals. Hey, women in wealth, what women need to know about divorce a week from today, 830. That's with Carpen Yonku, Annex Wealth Management Headquarters in Brookfield. Details, AnnexWealth.com slash events. See you next Saturday. It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ.